2022, that's the year we're in right now. Of course, to those that did not uh, hear the message that I talked about, uh, the significance of uh, 22, uh, you might want to go back a, a few weeks and, and look at that. They were all archived on YouTube, and um, I think it's on different stuff, podcasts and on Facebook and so on. So, by the way, that's an ever-growing audience, by the way. People new every single week join us online, and so we God, God bless them for doing that. And um, those that live far away and had a gentleman reach the church said, I'm joining your church. And they live somewhere in Alabama, I believe, and uh, they're a part of our ministry. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? So and then someone else said it from Chicago just recently as well. Um, so it's neat how God's using all of that. It's a different way for us to look at ministry. Um, by the way, which goes right into what he said to us at uh, the end of last year, that it was going to be more about reach, the outreach than it's going to be about the inreach. Not the numbers we grow so much on the inside of the church as the people that we actually reach for the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom. It's not about us building our own kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. So I'm going to say amen to that. But 2022 will require us to open our minds to see God and his ways um, as he purposes them in this new year. You say, what does that mean? Well, um, the way that I'm seeing this, and I feel very fresh from the Spirit of God by, by just spending some time with him, um, that it's going to be about signs, wonders, and miracles in these next days ahead. And for some people, that's going to throw you off a little bit because you're not used to seeing the power of God work in a certain way. In this church, uh, people label us Pentecostal or charismatic uh, ministry. I've been involved in that my whole life. As a little boy, I've been exposed to that. For me, it's nothing to see demons being cast out of people. Yeah, it's just part of what I've been a part of my whole life. Um, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And it can seem like it's pretty radical, but it's very, very scriptural. It's life-changing, life-altering when you get in, involved in that kind of spirit, spirit dimension. And it's far, far more valuable and fun uh, in the earth to be a part of something like that. That's where the fire of God is. I thank God for all of our other denominational churches that are out there uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I think it's important. Everybody has their, their part to play. Um, but this church, we, we're believing God, uh, as he said, uh, and the prophet Joel prophesied, and then was spoke again, prophesied again, that's twice, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, in the book of Acts by Peter, uh, that talked about signs, wonders, and miracles coming in the last days. So it's like another level, another dimension of the Spirit of God. And just, just as we were just prophesying a moment ago, obviously the Spirit of God is saying to us that the veil between the natural world in the spiritual world is going to become so thin until it's just a normal part of our, our walk with life. And if you study the book of Acts, you'll find out it was everywhere. It was Peter's walking by, his shadow was healing people. Um, uh, angels were showing up and getting people out of prison, praise God. I mean, we have, we have the account of scripture and he said in the last days there would be a double portion of his anointing and blessing. So we have that to look forward to. So when I say that we've got to be, our minds have to begin to be open to what God uh, is bringing us or what he's purposing for us in these last days, I'm talking about things that might look a little wild, but actually God is working in them and through them. The New Testament is filled with examples of people that God fully expected to be open to new concepts. Um, the New Testament is a New Testament for a reason. It, it looked different than the old. 
what John the Baptist was, was bridging the gap, it looked different. And then when Jesus came on the scene, it completely changed. And then when the apostles came on the scene, and the book was, the Bible was actually written, or canonized, put together in the New Testament, their letters, now we start seeing another, uh, another, a, a different look, a different approach. People now coming together, not individuals, but everybody coming together. And Paul, for instance, um, a, a concept would be completely different for him, was that the Messiah would come from Nazareth. In his mindset, there's no way anything could, good could come out of Nazareth, right? That's what the Bible says that people believed. And yet Jesus came from Nazareth. And so this was hard for, his name was Saul at the time, uh, before he became Paul. It was hard for him to understand. It was a new concept, a new thing that God was bringing now, just stick with me for a second. I'm going somewhere with all this. And, and so, um, and then, of course, uh, Jesus appears to Saul. His name changes to Paul. He becomes the greatest apostle. He becomes a tremendous believer. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he just couldn't see it until the, the, the Spirit of God showed him or revealed it to him. That's why when we pray for our loved ones. We should not get frustrated with people that don't know Jesus in our life. We pray for them because we can't, no matter what we do, the best that we can do, we can't prove to them that our Jesus is alive, that he's real. But one moment with the Holy Spirit changes everything. And that's, what, that's a sign. That's a wonder. That's a miracle. Um, uh, the disciples, uh, for instance, they thought that Jesus was coming to build his earthly kingdom. They thought the Messiah would be an earthly man sent from God. And that he would, in fact, uh, be one to, to, to raise up a new kingdom and be a king to sit, sit on the seat of uh, the throne of David. That's what they believe, but that's not what Jesus came to do. He actually tells them. And, and, and in teaching them, he says, uh, they, they said, well, what, give us, grant us that my brother sits on your right hand and I sit on your left hand, or however that was, right? Because they believed it was a natural kingdom. He says, that's not that. This is not, you can't say see here or see there the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is in you. So in other words, he was trying to preach a spiritual place that we were all to get to. And that was a different concept for them. Uh, Jesus actually preached and said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you can't do those things, you can have no part of me. He knows that that's radical. He knows that that's crossing the threshold of their mind. And they can't conceive that because... It sounds like he's talking cannibalism and talking craziness. He knows people are going to walk away from him, and they did walk away from him. And he looks at his disciples and says, will you too also leave me? Because he knew it was radical. But he did not speak of his flesh naturally or his blood naturally. He was speaking, of course, of the spirit, the, the elements, the, the bread and the wine. And he was talking about communion. He was talking about ingesting the spirit of who he was. That one day he would not just be around them as he was then, but he would be in them. And you, you, you receive him. And so he was speaking of that. But it was radically different from anything they'd ever seen or heard from before. But I think about Mary. Mary's probably the greatest example in my mind of being expected to embrace something so radically different from her traditional upbringing. And that was, God has approved that you have a child out of wedlock. Think of what went through her head when this angel appears to her and says, you're going to have a child. And she says, but I know no man. I've not known a man. How can these things be? And, she, and the, 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 the angel says to her, look, this is not, you're thinking naturally. The spirit of God is going to overshadow you. It's going to be a miracle, a sign, and a wonder. 
and th- that you will be impregnated with the seed of God, but it won't be natural. Yes, it'll be a natural baby, but it'll be done by a supernatural process. That's the veil getting so thin that we're starting to see miracles pop left and right, and it just becomes a natural part of our life. And so I want to say this to you, church. There are constants and there are variables. I've preached this for years. There are constants and variables. And a constant is something that cannot be changed or at least should not be changed. But a variable is one of those things that can be. And so when I look at, I look at the gospel of Jesus Christ or I look at the word of God, um, uh, when I look at what God has set in motion from his throne, those are constants. They can never change. We can't, we can't say there are more than one messiahs because the Bible doesn't say there's more than one. only says there's one way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You change that, you are in trouble with God. It's a doctrine called, of, of, called heresy, doctrine of heresies. So you can't do that. Anything in that Bible, by the way, the word of God is what we stay with because the more spiritual you become, you have to stay strong and solid by being balanced in the word of God. The word of God tells you if you should pursue something spiritually or not. So that's a constant that cannot change. But a variable is the presentation. So you, the way you present something can be, uh, can be absolutely changed because Paul said, uh, I, I become all that, that all would be saved. I, 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 don't, I don't just stick with one method. I, I know that my method is variables. But the way that I, what I preach rather, that is a concept that cannot be changed. So we have to understand that the way that's, that's the, the things that are happening in the day, this day and hour that I believe, there might be some variables that change, that are different so that we've not quite been used to before in church world, but we're, we know that we see the results of what God is saying. And as long as it stays true to the word of God, nothing deviates from the word of God, it, it, is, it is going to be amazing. But there are times where God seemingly breaks the rules, his own rules, and I don't understand how that works. He's God. I guess he can do what he wants. But you look in scripture and you'll find this to be true. And, and, and I'm saying this on purpose because I think God is setting us up for, for something great in this ministry. And we're going to have to go, what just happened there? I mean, we, Pastor didn't even preach the sermon. We just got up and sang songs and everyone just hit the ground and started crying and repenting and getting healed. And I, I, who, I'm up for that. I, as long as we get off that carpet changed, I'm up for that. And if God is in it, but you think, you shake your head, it's a sign, it's a wonder. Uh, somebody say, I saw an angel. Maybe you didn't, but they did. And, and so uh, it's a sign, it's a wonder. And, and so sometimes rules get broken that seem to be certain rules, but they're not. Where God says, no one touches my bread uh, that I have in my temple. That's mine, that belongs to me, right? And David comes back from battle, he's weary, his, his men, uh, he's got his mighty men, and um, they're hungry, and they're mad at David because he has no food. He's the leader, and looking for him to feed them, and they have nothing to eat. And he says, I know where there's some food that we can eat. They said, where? He said, the bread in the temple. They said, we can't touch that or we're going to die. He said, you don't know him like I know him. He's my friend. God is my friend. That's what he said. He's my friend. And he went, and they ate the showbread, the Bible says, and no harm came to them. As a matter of fact, they were blessed as a result. Seemingly, the rules got changed for those that were so hungry for God, wanting 
knowing God in such a way that they can call him friend, it's like they get away with stuff that nobody else can get away with. Have you ever seen that with certain people? Like, how is this happening? How about this? Joshua, uh, he is Moses' protege, and he's young, and, and uh, Moses is definitely in charge. And the Bible says that this is the mountain of God, and no one goes into the mountain except for Moses. Not only that, God said nobody touches the mountain. Even if a beast of the field touches the mountain, they will die. The only person that can touch that mountain and go in that mountain is Moses. But the hunger of Joshua, he was so hungry to know what's going on with God and Moses in the mountain. What's happening? Not only did he touch the mountain, he goes up into the mountain and God allows him to see and hear what's going on with Moses and God. How is this possible? God said you would die. Yet somehow Joshua is able to get the rules bent for him. Or is it that God allows certain people Certain things that are, how do I put this, uh, where you get a stamp of approval that no one else gets. And because of your hunger and your thirst for him and your desire to know him and you come like a little child and you even say these words, I would rather die knowing than live not knowing. I'll take the risk. And that is the kind of people I believe that you are and that I am that God is raising up in these last days. But we're going to have to change the way we think about it. The title of my message this morning is Mindsets. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word that's going forth today, Lord God. Let it be powerful. Let it be revelatory, Lord. Let it be mind-changing, Lord, and, and transformational. Thank you for the worship that's gone forward. And we touched heaven. Angels have come on the scene this morning. People are being touched by your spirit, Lord. God, until we're not the same again, and we give you the praise and the glory for it, in Jesus' precious name, everybody said a big amen, amen, and amen. Well, Paul the Apostle said these words, and you read it many times in Philippians, let this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's a mind that Jesus has that evidently we don't have, a mindset, if you will, not his brain, not the physical part of it, but the mindset that he has that the Bible says that we obviously can have because it says our prayer is let the mind of Christ, let that mind be in us as it was in him. In fact, I have prayed that so many times so I can't count because most of the times I either, either here or when I've gone out to minister, I will pray that prayer, which is the perfect prayer because it's the word of God. I will pray, Lord, I, I know I can have the mind of Christ. You promised me that I can have the mind of Christ. Therefore, I receive the mind of Christ. I receive information that I would not have otherwise to touch your people, to bless your people. Even when I'm preaching, I believe that, that when I speak, when I, I, I prepare, but I want the prophetic to flow out of me. I want to prophesy God's word. I don't just want to be a, another talking head that can speak eloquent words. And we all know that ain't going to happen. And so, but, but, but speaking in the way that the anointing of God will flow through me, that's living and prophetic. And so I'll pray that. And many times the Lord will give me the mind of Christ while I'm ministering here or in a prayer line uh, to receive a word of knowledge for somebody. I want you to look at Proverbs 23, 7. They'll put it on the screens. It says this, For as he, a man, thinks in his heart, so is he. Let's say it again. For as he thinks in his heart, 
So is he. So you become something. The truth is that you are what you think you are and you will have what you think you will have. Every new thing in your life starts with a thought. Okay? Every new beginning starts with a new thought. So if you want a new start, you have to have a new thought. A new beginning, new thought. Something changes or shifting in your life is going to require you to think differently than you are currently. Now, this is not, uh, this is not a, a workshop this morning. This is what the Word of God teaches us. As a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes. So is he. Thoughts can change the course of your destiny. Whether it be uh, off course of your destiny or on course, but it will change the course of your destiny. Does that make sense to you? So if my thoughts are wrong, it changes the course of my destiny. I'm off course. But if my thoughts are pure and right, are on what God expects of me and asks of me, and I'm obedient, obedient to those things, then my course is going to be perfect. And I'm constantly course correcting because I'm dealing with the flesh. I'm constantly course, course correcting because that wind wants to blow this way sometimes, it wants to blow that way. I'm constantly correcting my course and making movements because I know it's going to take that for me to get to the other side or get to where uh, I've been destined to go. I think about uh, this where it comes, and, and again, prophetically, I believe this is where we're at, uh, the prodigal son. And I believe a lot of prodigal sons and daughters are coming home this year in the name of Jesus Christ. So don't give up on your loved ones. Don't give up on those who once served God and who once gave themselves to him. Or maybe that's you today in this room because we won't give up on you because we know God can work it out. But the deal was it happened in such a way because we, we, uh, Jesus tells this parable of this man that obviously was wealthy and inheritance for his children. And the younger son decides that he would ask his father for his inheritance early. And so he asks, his father said, well, it's yours. You can have it. And so he gives it to him. Then he, the Bible says he packs up and he leaves his father. I don't know that his father was expecting that to take place, but he does. He leaves and the Bible says that he goes away to a, a far, far further country and there he lives wild. He lives party parties. And then after he had spent all that he had had, the Bible says that a great famine came to the land. And so he had nothing. He had less than nothing. nothing to, he had no, no money to, to live. And then there was a famine. So everybody's fighting for the same you know, crumb of bread. And so, and so the Bible says that he hooks up with this farmer to work his pig farm. That at least he would have a place, a sh- place, to, place to eat or, or, or shelter to have and a place to eat. But when he gets there, he does get shelter, but he gets nothing to eat. Bible says, and no one gave him food. And so he's out there working. Uh, maybe he has to work for a week before he can eat. I don't know how it all worked, but that's the story Jesus told. And he says, the Bible says that he goes out there and he feeds the pigs. Okay? And with this slop or the pods they call them in the, in the Bible and fed them and the Bible says he starts to he begins to dream about I would like to eat that food because at least my belly would be full it's slop it's garbage but at least I'd have something to eat but I can't eat it because the, the farmer's watching me and I got to feed these pigs but boy I would like it because nobody's giving me anything to eat so the Bible says he's, he begins to live with the pigs dreaming about eating pig food Is anybody tired with living with the pigs in your life and just eating the pig food, the slop, the leftovers, the garbage? Come on, you can do better than that. I I think I'm talking most people get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he was. He got sick and tired of it. But he knew he was in the wrong, how he left. And so now he's in this place and he begins to dream. 
He starts to think about his dad and he's out. My dad's a good man and he treats his servants so well. He starts to think, man, the servants that I grew up with, man, they got it 10 times better than I got it right now. And he says, the Bible says, and he came to himself. That means he had a new thought. A thought came to him. And that thought was, I'll go to my father. I'll repent to my dad. He's a good man. I won't ask him to receive me as a son because I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dirtbag for what I have done. But at least he'll receive me as a servant and I can get out of this pig pen. The, how do you get out of pig pens in your life is you got to come to yourself. you got to get to the place you go, wait a second. I don't have to be here like this anymore. He had a new thought. Everybody say new thought. A new thought came in, which was providing him a new beginning. He turns in his papers, whatever he did, and said goodbye to the farmer, starts traveling to his dad, starving to death. And he said, the Bible says, as the father saw the shadowy figure of his son in the distance, that's all it took for the father. And the father takes off running to the son. And the son doesn't want to run to him because he doesn't know what to do with himself. But the father runs the son and grabs him and holds him and puts his arms around his neck and kisses him and says, son, I love you. Where have you been? I'm so happy that you're alive. It was completely different. The welcome was not what he thought it would be. He thought his dad would be like, told you so. Knew you'd be back, boy. Now get to work with them servants. That's what he thought. Instead, he says, Father, he pushes back and says, I'm not worthy to be your son, but if you'll just hire me as a servant. He says, what are you talking about? You're my boy. I love you. Here, take my ring. Puts it on his finger. Take my sandals. Puts it on his finger. Takes his robe off. Puts it around his shoulders. Says, you're my boy. You were lost, but now you're found. You were dead, but now you're alive. Let's go. And he said, we're going to have a party. And they killed the fatted calf. And they got the best wine out. And they threw a party for several days just to rejoice that his son was back. That is the prodigal. In other words, you don't know, none of us deserve that kind of goodness from God. Many of us have walked away over the years with God, but when we, he sees us come back, he doesn't wait for us to just go, oh man. He embraces us. He loves us. He takes us back. Come on, church. In other words, it's not always about the rules and regulations with God. When he sees people repent, when he sees people humble themselves, when he sees people that want to live right, he works with them. And it all started with new thought. Interestingly enough, the brother saw the party going and said, what's going on here? What's the party all about? It was his brother, the son of the father. And they said, oh, you didn't hear your brother's, he's, he's back. And your dad threw him a party. And, and we're all having a great time. And he's like, wow, this is just unreal. And he goes and speaks to his dad and says, I can't believe this. I've been faithful to you all these years. I've never asked I never caused you any problems or given you any pain. He said, I've been faithful to you and your son who's took all your money and spent it out there in the world, spit in your face, and now he's back and you throw him a party. You never threw me and my friends a party. And look at the words of the father. He said, son, you have been faithful. You're right. Don't you understand? Everything I have already belongs to you. You could have had a party anytime you wanted, but now your, my son is back, your brother's back, and we're going to rejoice over that. And my point is this. When we start seeing people come back in the kingdom of God and start taking places of authority back in the house of God over a period of time, you start, don't get jealous when we celebrate them. And you go, oh, what about me? You could have been celebrated 
any time, praise God. In other words, God has always got your back. He's never going to make, y'all didn't want to hear that part. Because you got people in your mind right now. No, not them though. It's just not, please, not them. And that's usually the one God's working on right there. Amen. Let me make this statement. Redirected thinking produces a redirected life. Look, you always move in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. That prodigal son, he had that new thought. He, he started moving in that direction. And manifestation, rather, read this properly, and meditation is the pathway to manifestation. Whatever you meditate on is what will manifest in your life. So the more you think about something, there's the, the thing that's going to come in your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why you can't get caught up with the culture of the day that blames everybody and their mother-in-law for what's going on wrong in their life. And even blaming whole groups of people for what's not going, working right in their life. Don't get caught up in the blame game. Take personal responsibility for yourself. It's growing. Amen. Because the truth of the matter is, is that you've got to answer for yourself and not everybody else anyways. And ain't nobody made you do anything. The battle does not begin with them. The battle begins in your mind. People make all kinds of excuses for their sin. Well, pastor, I just couldn't help it. You know, I just slipped a little bit and, and I gave the neighbor's wife a little kissy poo. It, I, I couldn't help myself. You lie, you fry. Come on, somebody. That ain't truth. And the truth is the battle didn't start the moment that the neighbor came out with the short shorts. The battle... The battle started... A year and a half ago, when you started thinking, having thoughts about your neighbor's wife or your secretary or whoever, praise the Lord. Amen. The battle began in the mind with thoughts and imaginations. All right, let's shift those gears. Nothing comes into the earth without imagination. That's why you have one in the first place. Everything starts with an image. It's what you see inside that matters the most because that is what you manifest on the outside. That's called the creative power of God that he placed inside you. You were blessed by God in, in, in the very beginning to be like him. I'm talking about Adam and Eve. All the way through all mankind. What's that? To be a creator. God's a creator and you're a creator. He wants to co-create with you. He, he, he says, this is your life. You can choose to live it the way you want. Create. Some people create terrible things. Other people create great things. Other people create less things than they should, like they're mediocre and they should create more. But the truth of the matter is everyone's been created to be a creator. And that means it's because of the image. So the enemy has to take the battle to your thought life to abort the image of God that God has placed in you because I believe even through the scriptures we can see it so plain that every single person in this room, seven billion of us on this planet have a destiny and purpose in God and mine may not be yours and yours may not be mine but they're the thing that we were created to be. It's an image that God imprinted inside of us kind of like wrote it on the the 
DNA or the code of our heart, however he does that. It's a spiritual thing. Whether you be saved or not, it's true because God gives all different gifts and talents. How do you know that, Pastor? I go back to Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, don't be fooled. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And I anointed you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before you ever came out into the world, I already had a purpose established for you. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a destiny. Don't try to have mine. And I shouldn't try to have yours. That's the problem. We get in that whole thing of, uh, of comparison because the comparison game, because if I could just be like them, you don't have to be like them. All you have to do is find out what God's called you to do. And it's not that hard. It's already in you. It's already encoded. It's, there, there, there's certain things, I'm, I'm getting off track now, but certain things that you already created to do, you're doing right now. Amen. Some of y'all get the gift of gab. Y'all talk a lot, praise God. And maybe God wants you to have a podcast. I'm just throwing it out there, you know, and for you to be able to talk and, and do those kinds of things. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want you to have podcasts because you, you gab about the wrong things. I don't know. But my point is, is that everybody has something a little bit different. And so uh, he will try, the enemy try to come to abort the image that God's placed inside you. He will either abort it or he will try to distort it. Now, I'm not going to preach real long in this, but just so we have an understanding of what I'm talking about. The enemy always tries to come to either abort what's in you or distort it. So some of you have a certain gifting, a certain thing, but he may distort that. Amen. So that you will think it's a certain kind of way. And let me just make it real clear. God made us male and female. Male and female. And I always lose people on this. And I know you're going to be upset with me. And you're going to email me and all that stuff. You, you, write, you can do what you want to do. I'm not going to read it, but you can do what you want to do, praise God. I don't read ugly stuff, praise God. I just don't have to. So why do it? I don't want that in my spirit, amen. And so I will tell you, you're male or you're female. I got four, four amens and some confused looks. Because y'all listening to the wrong stuff on television and everything else. Male or female? No, it's what I feel. It's not what you feel. If they dig your bones up, I don't care what you do. You put plastic here. You can t tuck this up there. You can take certain things off, praise God. But when they dig your bones up 2,000 years from now, they're going to say, that's a male and that's a female. We know this. We can tell this. Don't let people distort, don't let the enemy distort the image that God has created. Amen. And so let's not get that confused. But we love, I love everybody, but you're confused. Someone needs to tell you the truth and you'll get mad at me, but you'll think about it for 10 days and say, he's right. And God won't, he won't, he doesn't have to honor anything else. He only honors what he puts in place. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's fair. We're supposed to be spiritual anyways, right? So why do we get so wrapped up in the natural stuff and get so upset with flesh stuff? Our war is not there. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. I'll talk about strongholds in a moment, but arguments, what does that mean? Imaginations. And reasonings. So we're called to cast them down or pull down these wrong imaginations and strongholds. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, everybody say every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Have you ever wondered why he put that in there? Why? Because as a man thinks, 
So is he. I've got to constantly be going through uh, um, filtering the thoughts that come in. And not all thoughts are me. Some thoughts are just of the world that came and said, huh, I wonder about that. Or some thoughts are just the enemy. Some thoughts are of God. And some thoughts are of me. I've got to determine and be able to decipher. The Bible says the word of God. That's why we need the word of God. Comes as a two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit. Of joints and marrow. And it is what? A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So I do it by the word of God. The more I spend time with the word of God, the more I realize that thought's not of God. But this one is. Or this one's of me. Church, you can't fight the devil in the flesh. How many, be real, would like to just, I mean, just take him on? Put him in a rear naked hole and choke and choke him out or pop him one in the face. I'm just be honest about it. I remember when I was a kid, I was just, I was just serving God. I, I told the devil, I said, you just appear. I, I double dog appear right now. I'll smack you in your face, you know. He ain't going to do that. He ain't afraid of that, right? Because that's his arena, that's where he works best. Violence is what he wants. Anger is what he wants. It's where he works and operates. You can't beat him there. He's been doing this longer than us. But how we operate is we operate in the spirit. You're going to have to get in the spirit if you're going to get the victory. Now, uh, real quick, uh, we have a very spe special prayer gathering that we're doing on 2-22-22, February 22nd, 2022. It's coming up. I'm inviting everybody. It's a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to have an incredible time. We believe it's going to be very prophetic. Matter of fact, there's already been, I've, now that I've got this date, I've heard other people begin to talk about February being this incredible month. So I'm very excited about that. I think we're right on target. But that's about us getting things back in the spirit realm, right? Fighting the way we should. Because the Bible says, uh, you sow to the spirit, you reap of the spirit life. You sow the flesh, sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh destruction and death, right? It's a no-brainer. I want to sow to the Spirit. So I, gotta, I have to physically, uh, physically, spiritually, mentally move everything into that spiritual category. Why? Because thoughts create strongholds that can hold your life captive and possibly hold it captive your whole life. Strongholds like, I'm a failure. You know, people think they're just never going to be anything. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough. You know, I don't add up. I'm broke all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll probably never get over this situation, over this hurt in my life. These kinds of things we say, and they create these strongholds in our life where the enemy can play flesh games with mind games. These thoughts create invisible prisons that hold you captive. And every time you try to escape the prison, the warden, the devil, the enemy, throws an image up of how you're incapable of ever getting out of that prison cell. And We've all had that. Think about this for a second. Um, you come to church this morning, maybe it's previous time, but this, I'm just giving you an analogy right here. And, and uh, you messed up yesterday. You blew it. You sinned. Something happened, okay? And, and you ask God to forgive you. You're here at church, and now you're worshiping God. You feel God's presence, and bang, just like that, that thought of what you did yesterday had come up on you, and you start lowering your hands a little bit, lowering your hands, start feeling sorry. Yeah, I did blow it. I just, God, I just, I need to work on that. I'm, just, I'm so, and you start going through the whole process of asking him to sorry again, ask him to forgive you again, and you start feeling smaller and smaller. That is not God's will. The moment you asked him to forgive you, he threw it as far as the east is from the west. It's never going to be brought up again. It's, 
the accuser of the brethren, the devil who brings up the things we did wrong so that when we're in a place of righteousness, doing what's right, he reminds us, now nah, you just, you ain't even a Christian. You can't even hold your peace in public. Look at your, you're such a, and all these things he begins to accuse you of to what? Rob you of the blessing that God's trying to give you today. Does that make sense? That all happens within thought control. He makes you think a certain kind of way or throws up a different image than the image of, that God has played, placed on the inside of you. So some of you have been stuck. Some of you are stuck by the image that you've held on to all these years. And it's not the devil that's holding you back as much as it's the wrong thoughts that are holding you in. Those thoughts have, 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 you, have you stuck in self-pity, stuck in the past, stuck in a cycle of one bad relationship after the other. How many thugs you got to go through to realize you keep picking the wrong ones? Why don't you let some of the mothers of the church pick some man, men for you? Now they're going to pick some ugly guy. As if the ones you've been going out with are that attractive in the first place. For some reason, you're attracted to evil. That's the problem. Get that up out of your spirit. Amen. Find yourself a good man. What's a good man? Not, not a finished man, not a finished product, but a man who's after God's own heart, a man who loves God. If he loves God, he'll love you. I said, if he loves God, he'll love you. Look at those women going, we preach today, pastor. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Amen. He goes all the way around. Bad cycle of relationship. Stuck in poverty. Not having enough. Jesus came to break you out of the stuck zone and into the blessing zone by the renewing of your mind by the water of his word. Somebody say amen. amen. And how do you escape? By putting the battle back in the realm of the spirit, getting it out of the flesh. Always getting your little feelings hurt. Touchy-feely. Always being offended by somebody. It's time to get up and grow up and be mature and start going, I'm going to allow the devil to take me around the mountain again. I'm going to go into the promised land by simply getting back in the spirit and out of my stinking, rotten flesh. And we all got it, church. Oh, my gosh, we all got it. This preacher, I've been preaching this all the years. I, anybody's close to me knows I still got my flesh I'm dealing with. I get angry at stuff all the time. I get angry at stuff. stuff I don't, why am I even angry? I don't even know why I'm angry. I'm just angry at stuff. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm prone to do that. That's my flesh nature. But I notice, not when I'm spending time with God. When I'm spending time with God, it's the opposite. I have mercy for people. I have love for people. I'm not as frustrated with them. And if I do get frustrated, I got to get back in the spirit. Amen. You don't want a mad preacher up here, do you? Praise God. You want one that's kind and merciful. Amen. Now, you're going to hell, every one of you. Even you Christians. Some of you Christians are going to hell too. No, you don't want that. In John 6, uh, 33, I'm watching my time. Slip away. Uh, hang with me. John 6, 33, Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. I just like to smack them in their head. You knock on them, you smack them in the head. It felt good for about two seconds. And then when the sirens come, come on, somebody. Now you're like, oh, no, what did I do? Amen. If flesh profits nothing, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 
okay, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. Does he put the devil in a headlock and, and pop him one? No, he does not do that. Does he pull out a gun and shoot him? No. Does he knife him? No, he does not. The Bible says he comes with three temptations, and Jesus each and every time says, it is written. It is written. It is written. He speaks the word. Not the flesh, the word. He didn't say, devil, you've been bothering me too long. I'm angry. He don't do none of that. He just speaks the word and it's life. And the devil has to leave him, the Bible says. Amen. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against bosses. We do not wrestle against spouses. We do not wrestle against the government. We wrestle against, what does it say? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Don't you back down. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and having, above all, taken the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, sword of the spirit. Not a sword, like we'd think, but of the spirit. It's what? The word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. You cannot win the battle without being in the spirit. And what is the spirit? Not talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about being in the realm of the spirit. What is it? It is his word. His word is spirit and life. So the only way I can win anything against the devil is by speaking, declaring, standing on the word of God. Even in my prophetic, even when I'm prophesying, it's got to be backed by the word of God. Amen. When we started believing God for this church, I did not put up a prophecy in the screen. I knew what the, pro the prophecy was the indicator of where we were going. But the word of God were the stepping stones to get there. And so we spoke the word of God that got us to the prophetic moment in time to apprehend this building and take it. Amen? And for those that don't know, we did that, this was many years ago. But it, it still works. The word has transformative power. It will transform your belief system. Listen, whatever your deficiency is in your life, whatever the deficit is in your life, find the word on it. Find what the word of God has to say about it. Start meditating it and start speaking it. Change your thoughts and then let that become out your mouth. And you will find that your thinking will begin to shift in the right direction. I'm done. Just two more and I'm done. Proverbs 18, 20 says this. It says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. And from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So God's not even saying death and life is the power of the devil. Or, or, the, or, or God. But in this case, in this world, in this life, what comes out of your mouth produces death or produces life. Um, quickly, let's shift gears and we're out. You are not supposed to be, and, I, and this is going to get a little crazy, but those know me, it really isn't, but for some it's going to be wild. You are not supposed to be broke. Not broke in your emotions, 
not broke in your mind and not broke in your finances. There's no brokenness in God. I'm broke as a joke. Stop saying that. Change your thoughts. I don't have time to go the rest of this, but I'm going to tell you this. This God said he would supply all your needs 